Welcome to Marketing Success with Podcast Advertising. Have you been hearing the buzz about podcast advertising, but aren't sure where to begin? Join us here as we discover how to create a positive ROI and learn the best practices and tips from companies just like yours who have experienced great results. Now here's your host, Heather Osgood. I'm always happy when I come across brands who are succeeding in the podcast advertising space. Yev Poussin is the Director of Marketing at Backblaze Cloud Storage and Backup. He has done a lot of podcast advertising and his strategies are unique. I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of our conversation. Here's my interview with Yev. So I just wanted to welcome everyone to the show. We are so glad today to have Yev from Backblaze on the program. And Yev, I thought we could just start out by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and Backblaze. Yeah, so I am the director of marketing at Backblaze. I've been uh, at Backblaze for, oh geez, almost eight years now, uh, so quite a while. And I'm responsible for the online stuff. So online uh, advertising, sponsorships, the social media, community management, some of the SEO stuff. I also run a lot of the projects at Backblaze, so I'm also a project manager and uh, sometimes a product owner uh, for the uh, for our consumer backup service. So it's uh, I wear a lot of hats at the company. And what Backblaze does is online backup. So we are a unlimited online backup service. It's for Macs and PCs. And so we basically just take all the data that's on your computer, we back it up, and then we have a copy of it. But recently, we also launched a cloud storage service, which is a lot more technical, but it's basically like Amazon S3, but a quarter of the cost, and that's Backblaze B2 cloud storage. So we have a couple different product lines now, but I'm, I'm mostly on the kind of public-facing and outward side of Backblaze. Excellent. And would you say that your service is more of just like a safety net? So obviously we all go about our lives using our computers and it seems to happen less and less the older I get and the older computers seem to have been around. But I mean, certainly there have been times in my career where the computer crashed and everything disappeared. And so the whole point is that by backing up all of your data, that doesn't happen. And if in the event that your your hard drive or something does happen with your computer, people can just call up Backblaze and say, hey, you've got all my stuff and have everything seamlessly restored. That's, uh, that's yeah, that's exactly right. So it, it's kind of like buying uh, insurance, if you will, for the data that's on your computer at least on the backup side. So on the B2 cloud storage side, that's completely different. That's like a set of APIs and CLIs that you can build programs around. And like that's, uh, that, that is a completely different service. But on the computer backup side, which is where we spend most of our uh, kind of advertising dollars, it is a little bit like buying insurance. Um, so we have a saying internally that it's not a matter of if, but when a hard drive fails. Um, mm. So hard drives are not designed to live forever. And, you know, in fact, they are quite adept at, at dying at, at different times. And so they will go away. And when they do, they can either do so gracefully or not so gracefully. And if it's not so gracefully, you have to make sure that you have a copy of that data somewhere else so that you can get it back and get back up and running. Mm -hmm. And are most of your customers just the average everyday person or do you find more businesses use the service or is it a combination of both? 
Yeah, that's really funny. So it, it, it's a, definitely a cross-section of every different type of person and organization. So we, we find that a lot of people, regular consumers, average, you know, your average Joe will use Backblaze and oftentimes they're using it because they have had data loss mm-hmm. in their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they know the importance of it, uh, of having a backup. And that is what they are trying to solve for. The, and businesses use it all the time too as, as a safety net. And for them, it's almost a, you know, if we don't do this and we actually lose this data, uh, that can be a company ending event, uh, depending on the organization. Yeah. So uh, it, it definitely is a cross section. We have folks from just one computer that are backing up their MacBook to people that have, you know, companies with thousands of individuals that are using our service. So it really does kind of run the gamut on the backup side. Uh, which is which is funny, but it's also it's also kind of tricky because when people ask me like, well, what's your target audience? I'm like, well, everyone needs a backup. But but if you're in marketing, uh, you know, like that that's a terrible answer to have because, uh, well, if everyone needs it, then how how the heck are you going to be able to uh, communicate with everybody uh, effectively? And so it, it does become a little tricky. But yeah, we definitely we definitely see a a slew of different types of folks that use the service. So you told me just before we started the call that you have been doing podcast advertising for the company since about 2013. Is that the case? Yeah, we started uh, fairly early uh, with some podcasts that I was just kind of stabbing. Uh, I was basically just doing some tests and experiments and some of them panned out. So we decided to, to give them another, you know, another try. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that turned into a whole job function uh, eventually. Mm-hmm. Were you a podcast listener? Is that why you decided to venture out into podcasts as advertising? Yeah, I was a podcast listener, um, but not in the uh, traditional sense. Uh, Mostly I listened to video game podcasts. Oh, okay. uh, And before starting at Backblaze, I worked at Wells Fargo and I had a, a job that required me to check a lot of documentation. That was a perfect podcast job because it made sure that I could have plenty of time to listen to the different shows that I wanted to uh, to get caught up on. And so I found a lot of video game podcasts that just talked about different video games. Uh, and so that's how I you know, came to know podcasts as a medium. Uh, and then I kind of branched out from there. So yeah, I was definitely a, you know, a big uh, podcast consumer by that point. And it seems to me that a lot of advertisers and brands when they start in the podcast space that there's a fairly significant learning curve. Would you say that you experienced that when you started advertising on podcasts? Yes and no. A lot of the folks that I talk to in the industry do echo something uh, along those lines where, yeah, we tried it, but we couldn't quite figure it out. Or it was, you know, it was really hard for us to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I find that coming from a lot of folks that did uh, traditional advertisements, uh, meaning like re- the tradition, sorry, traditional in this case, meaning, uh, you know, paid uh, click through ads online. Folks that tended to kind of get it were people that have done a lot of radio or television ads. And that's the, one of the reasons for that, I think, is one of the insights that we keyed into was we're able to track all the folks that come to the different landing pages that we give, give mm-hmm. out for the different podcasts. But what we found was that, you know, if you look at those pages, 
uh, in Google Analytics or through our tracking, um, you can see that, yeah, when the podcasts go live, those pages definitely get a lot of landings. But what we found was that our regular web pages were also getting a lot of landings that were organic, uh, so organic right. search traffic. And so we, we quickly kind of keyed into, well, for, you know, for every person that actually does go to, you know, backblaze.com slash something, there's another person that just goes, oh, you know, what was that thing, backblaze? They'll type it into Google or they'll type back up into Google and we'll be one of the companies that pops right up. And so it's not exactly like a one-to-one. It's not directly attributable. And so one of the things that we kind of worked on early on was saying like, okay, well, how many people do we think are actually going to the website from these podcasts versus how many people are hitting the web pages directly? You know, that's definitely helped me uh, gauge, you know, success in shows and uh, set my kind of acquisition targets uh, appropriately so that I, you know, I I wasn't uh, miscounting or miscalculating like if a show was not successful I do want to know that but I want to make sure that it isn't successful across the board and not just that you know maybe people mistyped the URL or something right well and I think that it's so valuable that we do have these unique URLs and promo codes so that we can you know have some observation of what's happening but I feel like even for myself and I'm in the industry, like there certainly have been times where I was like, I just want to buy that. I can't remember what the promo code was. Like, whatever, I'm just going to go to their website and buy it yep. because I'm in a hurry and I was interested in the product anyways. And I just don't want to do the work of actually remembering what the promo code was or the URL. So I think it's so important that you know, certainly that can be a piece of the pie, but it's not the entire pie, right? Because we know that there's other traffic coming. That's Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, you know, for us, we're like, okay, well, for every one person that comes to our site, there's probably like at least another three quarters person or at least another half of a person, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that comes kind of organically or just heard about us through osmosis um, as they're listening into shows. And so, that's what I use as my, as my acquisition target estimates uh, versus, you know, the strict ones that we have kind of for pay to click because those are directly attributable and so tend to, tend to work a little differently. So did you come up with that number by anything scientific or just was it a gut feel? It's, it's kind of a gut feel and I actually argue with my CEO about this all the time because he says like, look, yeah, well, clearly for every person that hits the landing page, there's at least another person, like another whole person that doesn't. And I'm like, that feels like that feels like you're multiplying by two now. And I'm not 100% comfortable with that calculation if, if I am uh, being financially responsible with my company's money. And so, you know, the, he, my, my superiors are, are more willing to kind of round up. Uh, and I'm the one arguing for, well, you know, it's probably not exactly a two to one ratio. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a one-to-one ratio. But yeah, we, we kind of chatted through it and, and we came up with that number um, as a good baseline. And, you know, we've spent over a million dollars now in, in podcasts over the years. And for, for a company of our size, that's, that's not insignificant. You know, I know a lot of, I know a lot of the, the larger uh, name brand sponsors have that as their monthly budget. But for, you know, for us, it, it was very important to make sure that we kind of get the, the math down so that I knew what was working and what wasn't early on. Yeah, that's excellent. And I think really a lot of it is about coming up with a system that you know is working and then using that. 
having a plan and working that plan is so much more effective and efficient than just kind of winging it, which I think a lot of times when, when advertisers move into any new space, it can feel a little bit like, let's just throw this, you know, against the wall and see what sticks. And it, it sounds like you really come up with a plan that you know works. And is that plan 100% accurate? Maybe not, but at least you know, by and large, that it's moving the needle in the right direction. Yeah, it's one of those things where like, you know, consistency is key. So if we, you know, if we, if we're collecting this data, and we've been collecting it inaccurately for the last, you know, four or five years, uh, and we come up with a better way, that's okay. That means sure. that we can then extrapolate. Uh, sure. But if, you know, if you're constantly changing and kind of thrashing, uh, then you just have to make a lot of notes for your future self. And that, that becomes a lot more cumbersome. So how would you characterize yourself as a podcast ad buyer? Do you typically identify a handful of shows that you know are very successful and stick with those? Or do you tend to buy a lot of shows? Are you always adding new shows? Tell us a little bit about your process. Yeah. So I'm constantly working with, you know, podcast vendors, I suppose, which, you know, now it used to be more of a one-on-one relationship and now everyone's kind of networking up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I work with a lot of podcast networks to see kind of what they have available and what fits into my budget. And I'll look at what they have, and then I will see if uh, it is within my experimentation budget. So my, my kind of philosophy is, let's try a show one time. If it moves the needle at all, uh, meaning you know, if some amount of people are landing, then that's great. If some of those people buy, then that's even better. Now, mm-hmm. if a lot of people are landing, but no one is creating a trial or no one is purchasing, then we might need to work on the messaging of the show. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's a lot of or the messaging of the creative. And so for me, it's a lot of uh, kind of experimentation, making sure that we, uh, we are not spending frivolously, and that we can ramp up quickly. So a good example of this is, uh, you know, for the longest time, I thought that we did the best with podcasts that were tech focused. And that was true. Uh, we did really well on focused podcasts. But then, you know, I, I started watching a D&D show on TV. And then I was like, well, or on, on Twitch, rather. And I was like, well, I wonder if they're, they, they don't seem to be taking advertising. Like, what if I call them up and say, like, hey, would you be willing to run an ad for me? And that has become one of our most, uh, most kind of fruitful uh, sponsorships. And that was just kind of a shot in the dark with the with audience that was kind of hungry for, for a product like ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that one was a complete fluke. But, uh, but typically the, the process is, you know, I work with the vendors, I take a look at what they have, we kind of chat through what might work, what might not work. And then we run some experiments. And if all of them fail, that's okay. Um, if I'm sticking to my budget, then I don't feel too bad about that. If some of them are effective, then we can kind of double down and triple down. And you know, there are shows that I started spending $1,000 with, and now we're spending tens of thousands of dollars with, because they have grown. Now the the kind of the reason I keep such good records of all my shows is eventually you hit a saturation point. Uh, which is a very sad and bittersweet <laughs> moment, mm-hmm. uh, at least for me, because it means that I'm either at the point of diminishing returns or no returns. And mm-hmm. So then I have to kind of pull back and, you know, no longer uh, run episodes all the time. So there are some shows that we, you know, at one point I was running weekly, I was sponsoring a show once a week, then we hit the sales and landings kind of slowed down. So we went to 
once a month and then once a quarter. And now it's kind of a couple times a year. And so really finding the right balance there between uh, when to put the pedal to the floor and when to, uh, when to pull back a little bit and kind of let the audience build up again to kind of catch that delta. That is one of the things that I focus uh, a lot of my energy on as well. So it sounds like you have a base of advertise or a base of podcasts that you advertise on that you have been consistent with that you know work well. Then you have an experimental budget that you invest in on maybe a monthly or quarterly basis. But overall, you're still really continuing to track the results of all the shows that you're advertising with. Yes, that's correct. So I have you know historical data going back to 2013, and so the the way that works is. And that's tracking on our end. So once mm-hmm. you create a Backblaze account um, through one of our landing pages, we kind of give your account a, like a backend number. Um, mm. And I, can, I have a way of tracking the numbers to say like, oh, this number is from this podcast. And so if you, as a Backblaze customer, ever add another license or add another computer, I can see based on that number, like how many more people have purchased or not. And so I can go back in time and say like, look, you know, this podcast has, it was horrific the first month that it was out. It completely lost money. But if you look at the tail of it, um, it's actually gained, uh, you know, and has exceeded all expectations. And being able to do that has been very, very helpful uh, because as an advertiser uh, or a person that's spending the money, it's nice to know that, you know, just because you're not seeing immediate success is not indicative of it not going well uh, in the future. Sometimes Mm -hmm. shows just take a little bit more time to pick up steam or a lot of people don't listen to them live when the show goes out that day, they listen to them, you know, a month later or they have a long backlog and whatever it is. And so that's why um, I love baked in shows versus dynamically inserted ones, because it does give me uh, kind of that long tail view of how things have gone over time. And you're echoing something that I hear over and over again, which is that podcast growth can be very slow, right? So like you said, sometimes the needle can be moved instantly. But I think a lot of times, especially with the baked in ads, it it does take time. And the way I look at it is my own personal podcast listening habits are that I listen to podcasts when I have the time and when I'm ready to listen to the podcast, I open up my app, I see which ones are new and which ones look good. And I listen to those. And it might be an episode that was released that day. But most of the time, I would say 99% of the time, it's an episode that has been out for a little while, you know, so it, it, it can take some time to really reach um, all of the audience. And also, as you mentioned, the long tail is so significant because there are some shows that get a certain number of downloads in a 30-day period, and then they can almost sometimes even double their downloads within the next, like, let's say four to six months. So you really, you know, there's a lot, a lot to be said there. And I think the other thing that you didn't mention, but is so important is to keep those codes live, right? Because sometimes advertisers seem like they shut them off after like a 60 day period. And I feel like that's one of the worst things you could do as an advertiser because you want to be able to capitalize on that long tail. And if all of a sudden, six months from now, somebody's going in and trying to use that promo code or that URL and it doesn't work, then you know where does that leave you? 
Yeah. Well, it definitely, it definitely leaves the the listener feeling not great. Right. <laughs> so that's, um, so that's not good, but yeah, no, you're totally right. So we do, I do clean up codes on occasion, but uh-huh. uh, for me, that's almost, it has to be a year plus horizon before uh-huh. I get rid of those URLs that I'm sending people to. And so one of the, you know, one of the tricky things for me is I, I don't do uh, ad codes or meaning like promotional codes. Uh-huh. Um, for me, I send people to a URL uh, and that URL is the thing that's doing the tracking. My, my product is not uh, like a mattress or something that has a high dollar amount. So it's only $6 a month, which means if I discount it, it is detrimental. We, we are not, uh, you know, we are not in the business, uh, at least at our company, of making uh, hilarious amounts of profit. We basically charge what we, you know, what we can with a little bit of, of margin. And so what I found difficult is not being able to give listeners a huge incentive. And so for me, I some, you know, I, I tried to make the creative around our free trial period and making sure that people are, you know, able to, to use the product and get familiar with it uh, before signing up because I can't give like a 50, 60, 80% off discount coupon or anything like that. And so keeping those URLs alive for a long time has been uh, very helpful in helping me kind of develop that, those long tail metrics. Well, and you hit on another really good point, which is the offer, right? So if you are wanting people to go to a specific URL, obviously it's important to have a strong call to action. And it sounds like with your product, because the price point doesn't provide a lot of wiggle room, that that has been a bit of a challenge for you. Definitely. I, I mean, like I listen to some podcast advertisements and I'm like, oh, if only I sold it <laughs> that was like $900 that I could then take another $100 off, right? Like, it, you know, it would definitely make my life a lot easier um, as an advertiser, but it, it is just, you know, at, at our price point, which is so inexpensive, it's really hard to do that. And so, you know, part part of it for me has been working with either my copy or working with the people that are actually going to be reading the ads to make sure that it's just a dynamic read. I've found that even if it's a, you know, even if I'm not necessarily offering anything other than a, you know, a risk-free trial, if the host is emphatic about it and really believes in the benefit of, of a backup service in my case, that, that is, I, I'm willing to bet more of a driver than, you know, simply offering 10 or 15% off. Because what I found is that folks that are listening to podcasts are really, you know, invested in either the host or the content, and they build a trust with these people. Um, you kind of saw it in, you know, in, in television and in radio before, you know, the advent of the internet. It kind of got lost in the mid ninety or in the late nineties and early two thousands, I think. Which is, people, you know, if Johnny Carson told you to buy something, you were going to do it because uh, mm-hmm. you trusted Johnny Carson. Uh, and we kind of went away from that for a little while. And I think with podcasts, um, you're kind of building, you know, people call them followers or viewers, listeners, a community, whatever term you want to listen to, but you're, you're sort of building a tribe. And if your tribe leader is saying like, hey, uh, I really like this thing. I think you should do it. Like, here's a couple of the benefits. And like, it, there's a free trial, you should give it a whirl. I think people are much more likely to do that and not feel like they're being sold to, which sometimes helps uh, me. But, you know, there's also a huge chunk of folks that, that are definitely looking for deals and discounts. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's unfortunately, there's just not a whole lot I can do for them. 
Well, I think that to me, podcast advertising is so powerful because so much research shows that people don't like ads, right? I mean, who yeah. likes ads? I'm an ad advertising, you're an advertising. We Neither of us like ads, I'm sure, right? But we do love to buy things and we love to hear about new products. And so for me, really all a podcast ad is, is it someone that I already know, like, and trust recommending a product, which makes it feel so much better. But another comment you made is so valuable, which is it does really depend a lot on the ad read and if the host is really interested in the product or not. Um, and so I, I feel like that's a really important piece of the pie too, is making sure that you can identify podcasters who do really believe in backup, right? Or they do really believe in the product that they're promoting because that make that can make the world of difference. Yeah. And, and that's what got me down the path of like, well, maybe we'll do better with the tech shows when we first started. Because I was like, well, who knows the importance of data loss? Well, it's people that have lost data. But then, you know, you kind of learn or I learned that in the in the case of the D&D show, Critical Role, I was like, well, you know, a lot of the folks that are watching this are creating fan content. They're writing fan fiction or they're, they're creating artworks. And the show is so engaging and dynamic that like these people are like really, really into it. And of course they have data that they want to back up. And it was just a matter of kind of finding the right creative to really kind of show that we can provide value. Have you found that there is a difference in the size of the audience? So, you know, we've got mega shows and I'm not sure if you advertise on any of the mega shows and then you've got the smaller audience sizes. Have you felt like there's been a difference in the results you get? So, yeah, it's 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 always better to have more uh, listeners because uh, mm-hmm. that means that you have a higher chance of, you know, some folks landing on your website. Uh, the, the unfortunate part, uh, at least for me on my end, is I have very strict budgets. Like mine are not very large. And so some of the podcast networks have, you know, $50,000 purchase minimums. And for me, that's an entire quarter's worth of effort uh, mm-hmm. for what might end up being just one ad on one show that is dynamically inserted. Right. Now, yeah, that show might have 2 million listeners, but then you're not getting any repetition if you were able to buy a couple shows at that same price point. And nor are you able to get the long tail because after you hit the 2 million listener threshold, they'll, they'll pull the show from all the feeds. And so, you know, there, I tend to, by virtue of kind of, or by limitation of, of, uh, my budgeting, um, I tend to stay away from a lot of the mega shows for that exact reason. It's a lot harder for me to find 10 or 20 shows equaling a million listeners, but uh, I can kind of piecemeal together a similar listener cross-section at lower price points. So I, I tend to, unfortunately, <laughs> do a lot of the grunt work uh, yeah. to try to find some smaller shows and, and uh, get a little more creative. We've tried some of the minimum purchasing things before and they were just, you know, hilarious disaster. So is there a certain size show where you say, you know, really they need to have X number of downloads per episode for it to make it worth it? Not really. So if there's a show that just has like 1 million or 1 million, if it has like a thousand or a couple hundred listeners, Mm -hmm. but they're consistent and, you know, an ad might just cost 50 bucks to cover that week's coffee or whatever sure yeah uh, th- if they can get 
one or two people to sign up, like I consider that a, a success. Now, mm-hmm. will I keep sponsoring with them? I'll probably do another, you know, if for 50 bucks, if they can get one or two people to sign up, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely do another one. If mm-hmm. they then go back down to one or zero, then that probably means we've tapped out their audience and I'll, you know, I'll try someone else. But but there, there are really no minimums. I'm more um, price conscious uh, than anything else. It, it's kind of funny when we... Uh, we're in the storage industry, so we have to buy a lot of hard drives, and um, we put out a lot of content and, and a lot of blog posts about the hard drives that we buy. And without fail, people are l- always asking, like, well, why are you just buying the cheapest hard drive? And our response is, well, because we're, we were bootstrapped. Like, we, mm-hmm. we care about the price. What we, you know, we built software around system failure. And so... The, the the idea that if we buy a hard drive that is a hundred dollars more expensive but it'll fail less that is not an interesting argument to us because we don't mind the failures like mm-hmm. our entire system is designed to to kind of absorb them uh, mm-hmm. so to speak and so similarly with podcast advertising like you know if I only have twenty thousand dollars to spend on podcast ads a month then. I have to get a little more creative and try to spread that money around as much as I can uh, in order to, to, to make sure that I'm getting as much bang for my buck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's nothing worse. I think like in my opinion, and I've seen this happen a couple of times is having like a, either a minimum purchase or a minimum, minimum episode requirement because on the flip side, as, as a person that sells them, I, I absolutely understand why you want to do that. But on my end, like there is nothing more heartbreaking than saying like, okay, I'm going to give you 10,000 of my favorite dollars because I have to buy, you know, five episodes minimum mm-hmm. and each episode is, you know, $2,000 and watching the first episode go live and just getting no traction and then seeing the second one go live and then getting no traction and then the third one and then the fourth one. And you're just like, well, that was a terrible mistake. And now I have to relive it five times. And it, you know, it it, it, uh, definitely becomes a little disheartening. Uh, So I, I, over the years, I have uh, kind of stopped uh, going down those paths as well, which is, you know, kind of antithetical to how how the industry is heading there. They, you know, a lot of uh, podcast vendors want you to buy in bulk and in chunks. And uh, what I'm finding is that that it becomes harder and harder to justify if the shows aren't uh, impactful. Yeah, for sure. Have you found because you do deal with so many podcasts, um, and like you said, and and I think, you know, just from our perspective, with the number of podcasts we deal with, that it can be very time intensive when you're emailing so many different shows and making sure that they have what they need to get the campaigns live. Have you found that it is more helpful when you deal with networks or when you deal with buying groups as opposed to just trying to go individually to the shows? If, well, I, it's tricky. I find a lot of folks that are just getting into podcasting, if they don't exactly know um, how the industry works or is forming, they, you know, it, it can be harder to work with them only because, you know, they don't know what an insertion order is or, you know, how, to, how invoicing works. But eventually they, they kind of figure that out. Podcast networks do a good job of taking care of that for, for the people and making sure that, you know, they're getting in front of as many advertisers as possible. Working with the podcast networks is sometimes easier for me because I can say, look, I have $10,000. What is the, what do you think is the best way for me to spread it around given 
you know, these parameters. Mm-hmm. And so it, it really does vary. I, I used to really like working with the, the, the show hosts individually because we could really kind of dive down into the creative and, you know, I could send them a code and say like, look, try the product, like back up some files and download them to your computer you know, see how it works and, you know, get a, get a feel for it. Cause this is kind of like a, you know, an endorsement almost. Mm-hmm. And in some cases it is an endorsement. And so I really enjoyed that aspect and it, it's not something that I get with every podcast vendor that I work with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, a, it's a little bit of a given, give and take there. Yeah. I could totally see that for sure. Well, I know we need to start wrapping it up. Um, I'm just curious if you feel like all in all that podcast advertising has been successful for your company and and do you attribute its success to part of the growth of your organization yeah absolutely like we so backblaze um, I mentioned earlier a little bit it is a bootstrapped company like we you know we're 12 years old and we're a capital intensive company meaning you know for every customer that we get we have to have the hardware in place in order to, to store their files. And so we spent a lot of money on making sure that we have a lot of uh, hard drives spinning in the data center. And without, uh, you know, without a giant uh, war chest of, uh, of venture funds, uh, we have to build a business that actually works on its own merit and is profitable. Mm-hmm. And we've been able to do that. But one of, the, one of the casualties of that is not being able to advertise a whole heck of a lot. Like we do some on, we do some on Google. And, uh, but that's kind of it. You know, we don't run, we don't run radio ads. We don't run television ads. We barely run any retargeting ads, but podcasting is one of those places where I was able to find a little bit of success and we've been able to really watch it kind of grow and flourish over the years. And it it is where the majority of our advertising efforts go and having spent over a million dollars on it over the, the years, it's actually brought back more than that million. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's definitely just from a, a return on investment, it's been, it's been successful. Mm-hmm. And in terms of brand and community building, it's been, it's been very invaluable because I'll go on Reddit to answer questions and people, you know, will say like, Oh, I heard you on this podcast. Like, uh, you know, I have this question. Um, and so people are less so from our, from an ROA perspective, it's definitely been great, but from a engagement and a visibility and brand building, brand awareness perspective. Um, It's been very, very good. That's excellent. It's so good to hear you say that because I think it's important. I mean, obviously we're in marketing. We need to have a positive return on our investment. And so it sounds like you're getting that. But I think that what podcasts do provide that other mediums sometimes don't is that brand recognition. And even just like you said, being able to go out there um, and have people recognize you because of your efforts in podcasts. that's huge to me. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's because of, um, I, I think that there's a psychological uh, component to that, which is, you know, if I spend a million dollars running a Facebook ad versus a million dollars spread across over podcasts, I, I would be willing to bet, and I have no scientific information to base this on. So take this with a grain of salt, but I, but my gut tells me that if I go across the internet, and just identify myself as a person from this company or as this company, the folks that have seen my ad or even clicked through on my ad on Facebook will not have as strong of a connection to the brand right. as the people that, you know, have heard it from their favorite podcaster. Right. Right. And so totally agree. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's, uh, that's invaluable. 
Mm-hmm. It might, you know, it, to, to your point, we do have to get positive ROI, but I like to say, if I get negative ROI, I darn well better be able to give an explanation and say like, well, it's not a complete loss because of X, Y, and Z. Um, and so if those intangibles are able to kind of outweigh uh, mm-hmm. any losses, I'm willing to take those too. Well, Yavs, thank you so much. It was, it was so great to have you on the show. And it's so interesting always to hear about um, how brands and advertisers are approaching podcast advertising. Are there any last thoughts that you'd like to leave with the audience? As, as hokey as it sounds, I hope that everyone has a backup solution. And <laughs> if you don't, uh, I would strongly recommend either using us or someone else, but please use somebody. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks so much and have a great day. You betcha. Thank you so much. It was great to have Yev on the show. And I wanted to create just a summary of the key takeaways that he had made during the episode. So you could take those points and apply them in your own podcast ad campaigns. So first he said that the real value of podcast advertising is that the customers really trust and they invest in the host of a podcast. So organic ad reads have so much value added for your brand when you advertise. Even if you offer something minimal, the company can still get traffic if the host really believes in your product or service. And that is uh, something that is delivered in a very genuine way in the ad read. Backblaze really prefers baked in ads versus dynamic insertion because the results are more in-depth over time. Some shows can even double their downloads months after they post that episode, so the ad is reaching double the audience than originally perceived and what you really have even paid for. It's recommended to leave your URLs or your promo codes active and only clear them after, I would say, a minimum of a year. So really make sure that you're taking advantage of that lag time and really that long tail that podcast ads produce. Show size depends on the advertising budget, right? So if you're a company that has restrictions on budget, you have to work a little bit harder to come up with a portfolio of shows that will work for you. It's more beneficial to place several ads on one show and have brand recognition to increase traffic to your website than to place one dynamic insertion on a show that has millions of listeners but doesn't generate traffic. So think about identifying the shows that you really are interested in investing in and then invest in those shows. Managing the ad campaign consistently is important as eventually some of the company's most profitable shows, so some of the shows that they've made the most money on, hit a stagnation point and and provide limited results, right? So eventually, after you have been advertising on a podcast for quite some time, you are going to be able to saturate that market. So it's important to really change the balance to keep momentum going. You might need to take a hiatus or take a period of time to allow the audience to build back up again. And finally, the company should have a deep understanding of who their target audience is to reach the right demographic. So you as a marketer, you know your demographic, and it's really important to make sure that with your podcast campaigns that you're reaching that demographic. Ads can have great results even if the podcast topic does not relate to your industry. And I think that this is something that is always so challenging for us as marketers is that we think, oh gosh, we're selling jewelry. We want to just market on you know podcasts that are talking about jewelry, but that's not necessarily the case. Let's really take a look at who your demographic is, who you're trying to target. And even if the topic of the show doesn't relate specifically to the product that you carry, that doesn't matter. You can still get a great ROI. Those were Yev's suggestions about how you can create a very successful ad campaign through podcast advertising for your company. I appreciate you listening to the show and we will catch you next time. 
If you want to learn more about how to be a market leader in podcast advertising, reach out to us at truenativemedia.com.